Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey everyone, I'm Brenda. And I'm Julia. And you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring 20s Podcast. Today we have on with us Serena Wolf. Serena is a chef, a cookbook author, a blogger, a podcaster. She does it all. She's incredible. If you haven't seen her Instagram, you need to go check it out. She's going to make you want pizza every day. (laughs) We're so excited to have you. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, we're going to be talking about my absolute favorite topic, which is food. (laughs) Good. Thank God. I always like to go into it with with somebody being excited about the food. Oh, it is not my favorite topic. It is her absolute favorite topic. Like you're the perfect guest. My dream guest, my dream guest, actually. But Serena, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are, where you're from, how old you are, and and yeah, anything else you want to let us know? I feel like I'm (laughs) like, how much time do we have? (laughs) I am Serena. I'm 33. I live in New York, but born and raised in Southern California, which I'm very much missing in the winter. As far as backstory in a nutshell, I went to culinary school in Paris at Cordon Bleu after college and uh, graduated in 2000, end of 2011 and knew I didn't want to be in the restaurant world, but was still trying to figure out what direction I wanted to take food. It was the early blogging days, which you both are too young to remember, but it was dark. <laughs> but we had very colorful backgrounds. Our oh URLs had like .blogspot.com in them. I took mm-hmm. a lot of photos on my Blackberry. This was pre iPhone. I love um, high quality photos. <laughs> was, yeah, they were really unappetizing. Um, and I definitely never thought that it was remote a remote possibility that would become such a big part of my career. I really just started it to like keep in touch with friends and family at home. This was pre-social media days. And I when I got home, I was doing a mix of things which is a trend that I've continued <laughs> throughout the past decade, but I was, you know, working on the blog, going to people's houses and teaching them how to make like really simple meals, like a quinoa and a piece of salmon, you know, really, really basic stuff. I was a private chef for a couple years. I did a lot of freelance recipe development. And eventually that led to my first cookbook, The Dude Diet, my second cookbook, The Dude Diet Dinner Time. Oh. And <laughs> And and we'll talk about that. But then, yeah, I mean, as social, like my sort of style areas, I host an anxiety centric podcast, very big mental health advocate. Um, I now teach virtual cooking classes. Um, I am very sort of active in the social media sphere, but also pursuing a lot of offline projects. So that's sort of where I am now. I'm really proud of how succinct I was able to keep that today. No, that, <laughs> that was awesome. I'm usually, it's a very long, winding, unexpected road um, 
so it's difficult to sum up no, quickly, but no, it's perfect. And I honestly, my um, because we can't be in person with like a glass of wine and some food yeah. and some snacks <laughs> recording, my Zoom decided to cut out on me. So I hope you didn't answer this yet because I would love to know, <laughs> but I froze for a little if you, if you noticed. So if you could give us a little background, if you haven't already, thank you, Zoom, on where your love for like food began and if you always knew that you wanted to be a chef. I absolutely did not. <laughs> Um, nobody in my family cooks. My mom like burned things from time to time growing up. When I went to culinary school, I had literally zero food background. I went on sort of on a whim. I had moved to Paris. I thought at that point I wanted to be a writer and I was looking for jobs and taking classes at Cordon Bleu as sort of like what I thought was going to be three months before I came home and started my like real life uh, after college. And I, when I arrived, Primarily, classmates were people who had always dreamt of being chefs or working in the restaurant industry or were already in the restaurant industry and hoping to, you know, move more quickly up the ranks. And I thought I would be sort of roasting chickens and drinking wine. And I had this really fun, romantic vision of culinary school in my head, which is deeply absurd. (laughs) And anybody who has gone to culinary school knows that it is the polar opposite of that. It is a very rigorous and intense experience. But I basically thought I, a friend of mine had gone to Cordon Bleu and was like, you'll, you can do the basic program. You'll have this amazing life skill. You'll never regret it. And it's really there that I fell in love with food as a really picky eater growing up. It still seems wild and ridiculous to my close friends and family that I've now been in the food world for 10 years. <laughs> this is my chosen profession because there were no signs of this early on, given that I could make basically a grilled cheese and scrambled eggs at the start of culinary school. And it was, I think what's really amazing though, is when because I had no background when I got to culinary school, I had no bad habits to break. So I was really learning every technique, every recipe from scratch. And I think I really was a sponge for that information. And I also recognized when the instructors did a really good job and like how I, the way that they, certain instructors taught was more, was easier for me to digest. So I think that that's really helped me communicate over the years via my blog, books, Instagram, and now classes, how to to cook in a way that feels accessible because I was the person who didn't know how to cook. And I think a lot of people who use my recipes aren't necessarily really, really experienced home cooks. So my goal from day one, when I started my pink blog back in 2011, was to make cooking feel less daunting and like Mm. fun and flexible. And that, you know, sort of if I can do it, you can do it because that's the truth. Yeah. Oh my God. I love like two, like two things about that. And I know Brenda is like beaming right now because Brenda has been wanting to learn how to cook and Brenda feels like she can't cook at all. Yeah. So this is perfect for anybody. Perfect. <laughs> wants to know how to cook. And you can. Like they know how. Serena is your gal. <laughs> and number two, I, I just love your story because I feel like a lot of what our friends our age are coming up against right now is like not really knowing like what they want to do 
with their life or feeling like they wanted one thing and that's not really working out or they're being pulled somewhere else. And like, it's really confusing, especially at like, you know, we're 25 and it feels like, well, I should have it together by now. Like I should know. And so I love that you kind of just, you went thinking you were going to be one thing and you fell into this other thing which obviously like was a hidden passion for you all along because of how passionate you are about it now. Yeah. And I think that it's kind of, I I actually, it's so wild that you just said that because I was having a conversation with a friend earlier this week about the same thing. And I think that, I mean, we're slightly different generations, but I think younger generations are operating under this complete misconception that we are supposed to have our lives figured out a at any point, but be in our twenties and that it's supposed to be, it's supposed to come easily to us. And that also, if we're not wildly successful in our 20s, then we're never going to make it. Most of our parents' generation, including my own, didn't really hit their stride until around 40. So I don't know why this generation, which is so obsessed with like, 30 under 30 and people running, you know, multi-million dollar corporations and coming up with Facebook in college and all of these things. We put so much pressure on ourselves and we're so young. And also we are going to live a very long time, a very long time. And we are not going to retire at 60. No. So in my mind, we're going to retire if we retire at all, 80, maybe 90. We got time for so many different careers. We could have endless careers. And I think what happens as we grow up is we develop different passions. And I also don't think that your job has to be your passion. And I am somebody who can speak to the fact that I go through periods of burnout because I've turned my something that I love into my job and no job. I don't care what it looks like on the outside is super, super fun all the time. Like I talk to my friends all the time. And like, because I'm self-employed, I do get to choose how I run my business. But at the same time, I would say I enjoy 20% of my job. Mm. That is up from roughly 5% in my early twenties. <laughs> so You're saying this. I think it's really important to keep in mind that also it's a privilege to have feel super passionate about your job. Mm -hmm. There are lots of people in the world. Some people live to work and some people work to live. Like if you want to have a job that pays the bills and you're not remotely passionate about, cool. You can do all of your passions in the hours that you're not working and be really happy and fulfilled. Like we don't have to make our whole lives about our jobs. And I feel lucky that I do get to have so much fun in my job. But I just think that especially with social media, we see the highs of everybody's job. We don't see like, you don't want to watch me, you know, following up on invoices and like BTS on Instagram. Yeah, no, that makes so much sense. And I feel like you're you're so right. I've actually never thought about it that way myself. It's like, what is it about this particular generation that that wants the 30 under 30 or thinks we're supposed to have our dream job immediately? We think about it all the time, like all all the the time. time. Yeah. And I think we think about maybe like very select few people that we know through someone else or someone we went to school with or whatever. And we're like, oh, well, you know, this happened for them. And we just make all these assumptions and put pressure on ourselves 
ourselves when we just got to release it. We got to release it because the reality is, is everyone's figuring it out. And that's the biggest piece of, of really why we do what we do here on this podcast. And why we're so happy that you're a part of it because the more people we connect with, the more we realize everybody is figuring it out (laughs) and things change. And like, we've been talking a lot about Julia and I like allowing ourselves to evolve. And like, if our vision is different now than it was a few months ago, years ago, whatever, it's going to continue to shift. And I feel like there's just not enough acceptance in at, at really at any age with all of that. I couldn't agree more. And I think what's really, I mean, what's comforting is to hear people's stories where they talk about their failures, where they've talked about what, what was really motivating to them in the times when they were like, oh, like, have I taken an abrupt wrong turn in my yeah. career path? Which honestly, I feel like that all the time. But it's one of those things where I wrote a book proposal in 2000 early 2013 I think and it was called food that doesn't suck and it totally sucked it was very bad and the recipes were terrible and the idea was not that great to begin with but I really thought that this was like my my big break so to speak at what 25 you know and I was like this is it and it made it pretty far down the pipe in terms of meeting with publishers and all of this stuff and then it didn't happen and I was crushed like I considered throwing in the towel on the whole food thing and I was like I this was a weird thing for me to get into anyway maybe I should just get a corporate job and forget about doing anything any of this stuff and luckily my husband my boyfriend at the time was like okay like cry it out and then we're gonna pick yourself back up and like get back on the horse and I think what my dad always told me and he just has very funny like cliched advice that really hits home in certain scenarios and one thing that he said was the same year that Babe Ruth held the home run record he also held the record for the most number of strikeouts Mm -hmm. and I took that to heart and I personally especially on Instagram which I think that's where a lot of people find me and see me and it's it's part for me it's a community building tool and that's why I love it it's not like my primary source of revenue it's not my full-time job and I try to talk about this really openly on there because I do think even though we all know that Instagram is the highlight reel it's not the experience that our brain has when we're scrolling we think that this is somebody's real life these like accomplishments and whatever and it's so I don't do it you know every day because I think that would again just be beating a dead horse but it's like for every cool piece of press like look at me in people magazine it's like I had 300 pitches that were not responded to nobody even acknowledged the email came in you know and I think that you're always seeing the product launch or the cool piece of press or the finished book I'm like I cried for two years (laughs) it's it's wild that you don't you don't see that and The part of the reason that we don't see that is because we're afraid that people will, I don't know, judge us and we want things to look aspirational and perfect and inspire people. But I think what I've come to realize is it's almost more inspirational to be like, I made this thing or I I tried this thing and I'm really proud of it, but it was a struggle. (laughs) Or I made this thing and it really didn't work out and this is what I learned from it. 
And the number of times, I mean, I just have endless examples and so do all of my friends of the times that things didn't work out or we tried something new and they just, it was a flop. I once made a YouTube series called Shut Up and Smoothie and I hired my crew. I rented a space. I got the whole thing. And then we started filming. I was like, oh my God, this is a series of putting me, of me putting things in a blender and turning it on. Like what is wrong with me? This is the worst idea of and we ended up just shooting it anyway. I was, I was like, I already paid for all of this. Yeah. And I was just like, the rest, like, now I'm just going to give people the recipes and not even promote these videos because they're ridiculous. It's like, you just put the things in and you turn it on. And I was like, how did I not figure that out beforehand? But that's a very obvious example. But like, I've gone on so many over the years, like auditions, had screen tests of like shows that I was possibly going to co-host and all of these things that they made it so far down the pipe and then they just died. They never happened. Something fell through. They went in another direction, whatever it was. And I, I just think, especially in creative spheres, I don't know anyone who doesn't also have oh. this bucket of stories. Oh, yeah. And failure is part of the game. And I think that changing your mindset and looking at it as sort of like shameless experimentation without an expectation attached that this is your big break or this is your big thing or we can have 20 big breaks we can have you know 20 different career paths we if so if you had told me a year ago that I would be teaching like a booming virtual cooking class business I'd be like are you insane I don't even like teaching like (laughs) and now I love it so normalize changing your mind too I love that. I love that you mentioned the shameless experimentation um, and then also the expectation piece because I think a big problem that we run into is the expectation that we set for ourselves. And if we don't align with that expectation, it also might shift our desire, but we still sometimes cling to what we expected of ourselves, even if it's not what we desire any longer because we think we're supposed to. So I think that everyone in their 20s and beyond is going to be really grateful to hear that. (laughs) And like you said, I think people, even, even me, like I'll be super like real with you. Like even you saying that because we see where you are today and we're like, Oh my gosh, so inspiring. Look at all the things she's doing. And I think we take a lot of things personally when we receive any sort of rejection, we just did a whole episode on rejection and we take it as us not being enough or us not doing something right. When it really very much is something could not be meant for us, but you've given us so much wisdom. So we do want to learn a little bit more about your (laughs) books. Um, like the do diet and do diet dinner time. It has an amazing backstory. So can you tell us about the inspiration for the book for anyone who doesn't know? Yes. So the Dude Diet actually started as a column on my blog while it was still pink. And it was it was inspired by my husband, Logan, who we had just moved in together and we started dating while I was in culinary school. He loves food more than anyone I've ever met. It's just very, very endearing and, and also yeah, deeply you- hilarious. <laughs> He's ridiculous. But when we moved in together, because when we met, I was living in Paris and he was living in New York. So we did dated long distance for nine months. And I just figured when we saw each other, he was vacation eating. You know, I was like, oh, like he's just eating all these things because he's in Paris or I'm in town and we're celebrating. And he probably eats some healthy things on his own time, like a vegetable or something that's not fried. Um, And then we moved in together and I was like, holy shit, like (laughs) 
you do not eat any vegetables like ever or anything that's remotely nutritious. And I knew that he would not change his habits if he felt like it was restrictive in any way, shape or form, which I support. I don't support. I'm very anti-restriction. But I wanted to prove to him that healthy eating, which he thought meant he had to eat, I don't know, like salads and Greek yogurt and and boring, sad things was truly his view of healthy eating, which I think is shared, I shared by a lot of people. And I was like, okay, I need to show not to, I'm not going to convince him here. So I just started revamping his favorite recipes. And these were not complicated things. They're like chicken fingers, um, lasagna, and cheesesteaks, and these things, and just not using, you know, cashew cheese and, and replacing everything. It was just, how can I work in more vegetables? How can I get some whole grains in there, get him to eat some leaner meats? And that was what I started doing, just making these simple swaps. And he loved all of these things. And I was like, wait, this I could be on to something here because I think he was the perfect example of somebody who didn't want to switch to a, a diet lifestyle. He just wanted to eat a little bit better and feel a little bit better and still eat all the things that he loved. So I wrote a one-off post on the blog thinking, you know, making a joke and calling it the dude diet, which to clarify, I think it's very confusing this day and age, having come up with the dude diet in 2011, very different times. Now it's very confusing because people are like, I don't want to be on a diet. I was like, it's not a real diet. It's just some fun alliteration. Um, but it, it, the, there was such a good response to this blog post from men and women being like, do you have more of these recipes? Like, I really love chicken fingers and I would love to not feel terrible every time I eat them. And it became a weekly column. And that really was when the blog was starting to take off. And this was after my first failed book proposal. And I had a new book agent who was like, I've read everything you've ever written. The Dude Diet is your book, it's your only book, it's the only book that you can sell. And I think what's really important to acknowledge in the publishing industry is if you don't have a huge following, or you're not a celebrity, you need to have sort of a really clear hook to your book. And for me, that was the dude diet, because there wasn't at that point, the paleo diet and like plant based cookbooks were really taking off, but there wasn't a lot in the middle for people who just wanted to eat a little bit better and doesn't have any obscure ingredients. It's really sort of targeted towards people who may not have a ton of experience in the kitchen. And so that first cookbook is really all of the favorites, like all of the classic things that you can think that you would crave from beef and broccoli and like pad thai. There's a whole takeout Mm -hmm. favorites chapter to like the classics like spaghetti and meatballs and chicken parm and cheesesteaks and that kind of stuff. There's a whole game day chapter. That's like Logan's entire style of eating. (laughs) Just like Super Bowl Sunday is how he would probably describe his general (laughs) eating inclinations. And there's also a cocktail chapter and desserts and all of these things. It's really meant to make people laugh. It doesn't hit home with everyone. I love reading Amazon reviews that are like, one star cussing. Like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of uh, it's meant to be fun <laughs> yeah, right, yeah 
And I, I love, I mean, I just love it because I think, you know, there obviously is this big misconception that you have to like either like eat, you know, all these alternatives and like be vegan yes. and gluten-free and dairy-free and everything, or you're eating like crap. And like, no, you can make good foods taste good. You can add, you know, still eat some fun stuff and add in extra vegetables, whole grains. Like that's what I really love about the do diet is that it's like, it's, you can, you don't have to be so extreme if you don't want to. No, exactly. And I I really don't think that dieting is sustainable long-term. And every time there's a new shiny diet, I'm always like, you know, I cannot see any of us at 80, like sitting around the dinner table and somebody is like, would you like like a warm baguette? And it's like, oh, I'm keto. Like, we're not going to be doing that. I just, (laughs) so I'm like, let's set ourselves up for health long-term by eating things that make us feel great. And then also eating a whole pizza if you feel like it sometimes or having, you know, you're like a Tuesday cocktail, do whatever it is that you can actually sustain long term. And I'm a big fan of just adding things in versus taking things away. So I'm like, focus on getting more vegetables and more water and more whole grains and stuff into your day. And at the like, and then if you want to have whatever else it is in the day as well, at least you're doing something good and it just you'll start I think what was great about Logan is he started eating this way and then kind of became obsessed with it because he had been eating so badly for so long he just thought like his baseline of feeling like not great all the time was normal and so when he started to have more energy and sleep better and stop snoring so much <laughs> he was like a vegetable can do this I know he was like oh like I feel great <laughs> And it really shifted his whole perspective. And I think like that is the best part is feeling good after a meal versus feeling like you need to take your pants down and like lie on, like get horizontal as quickly as possible. And that still happens to all of us, but hopefully like, you know, less often now. Absolutely. And I think like, I I, I always kind of say this because like, I do love vegetables. I'm also such a foodie, like, but I'm like, the more that you like eat them, like you want them more because you know yeah. that- oh good you can have those and the other things like I just really ascribe to that way of thinking as well so I love that and you notice too it's like over the holidays and stuff like I every year I like aspire to make a transition into like a human wheel of cheese and by January 1st I'm not like punishing myself at all I'm like wow I would love a salad right now like I I don't even want to see another wheel of cheese wheel of cheese no yeah. I lived in Italy for a little while and like I was eating so much pasta and pizza and wine and like at one point I was like roaming the streets I was like salad anybody can someone give me a salad totally you cra- you crave it you literally start to yeah. crave greens so yeah. yeah and that's and then that was ended up being the dude diet just resonated with a lot of people when it came out mostly women and honestly a lot of families because children's palates shockingly yeah. also love these foods and so that spawned the sequel which I had all these fun ideas for the sequel and at the end of the day most of the feedback I got was just like I really need more dinner ideas and then I pitched my editor a bunch of ideas that were super creative and I had all these bins I was going to put on things I was like or do diet dinner time and she's like that one (laughs) (laughs) and so I think what happened is that most people you know sure we all love to make a fun dessert or a weekend brunch or whatever but the meal that most of us are cooking most often is dinner and so having inspiration for that is really helpful so the book instead of being broken down 
into the traditional, you know, like breakfast, lunch, dinner, sides, etc. These different types of dinners. There's like one pot meals, burgers and sandwiches. There's a fish chapter and a meat chapter and a side chapter so that you can mix and match and casseroles and things like that. So that ended up coming out last fall, which feels like 20 years ago. <laughs> And here we are today. I mean, in 2021. And I don't really know. I think like for me, I always thought on the subject of changing your mind and having different goals, like I always saw there being 10 different do diet books and mm. uh, fast casual franchise and all these things. And I'm like, look, like, while I personally love this food and I think a lot of people do I think the landscape of the world now it's really hard to have a book called the dude diet out there it, it's mistaken for like a gendered eating mm. thing or a diet or whatever and not everybody's willing to listen to me explain it you know so I think that although these books are continuing to sell and I will always continue to cook from them talk about them share them teach them I you know had a tough conversation with like my agent and so my editor and stuff and it's like I kind of like the dude diet's kind of over now and we need to move on to the next phase of what is Serena Wolf doing next and that well that first conversation which was like oh my god it makes you want to like go hide in the closet and cry and be like I put seven years into this and I thought that this was it and And now I've kind of had a full circle, like I've had time to digest that and be like, wow, okay, that was a really cool life phase. Mm -hmm. And I don't know necessarily what the next book is. And I'm doing other things. So I don't necessarily need to do another book immediately. But just like I didn't know that I was going to write The Dude Diet, you know, when my agent told me that was my book, I think I just I'm better at keeping the faith that I'm like, an opportunity will present itself or your brain will give you another idea at some point. And in the meantime, keep doing other things that excite you and that are inspiring. And maybe it will hasten that idea's arrival. (laughs) That's so beautiful. I think that's like the perfect mindset as opposed to being like, why am I not, you know, why didn't I come up with the next, my next big yes. tomorrow? <laughs> like all these things, we waste so much energy on that as opposed to enjoying. And I love that you said exactly that, that you said to enjoy your life, enjoy what you're doing now. And it's going to happen. It's going to come along the way because it, it's like so much more likely for us to find the next thing that brings us more excitement if we're in a positive state as opposed to if we're in the complete opposite. So that was perfectly said. Um, And I also love the whole, you know, you said it a little, uh, a little bit ago, but about um, really embracing and not going towards like this extreme restriction and adding things in and also just like finding a a balance between things that you actually like to eat and just like tweaking a little, a little bit in there. Uh, Definitely relevant for me. Speaking of (laughs) for a young woman that hasn't really ever cooked before, what advice would you give her to start off? So like any basics they may need other than your incredible cookbook so this is like first of all my favorite thing to talk about so i'm just trying to keep it tight here i really think that you want to focus on building a pantry and when i say pantry i use the term loosely for like five years my pantry was a giant plastic bin underneath my entry table so whatever you got but i think having basics on hand is going to make whipping up a meal at night or a lunch, if you're working from home or whatever, feel less annoying and intimidating, especially if you don't love to cook. 
So for example, if you want to make something and you have to go to the store and get 12 ingredients, no, you're unlikely to want to do it. However, if every time you go to the market now, think about picking up two or three things that you can keep in the pantry, whether that's, you know, a bag of brown rice or quinoa, one more spice, one type of oil, because you'll be surprised after a few grocery trips, you have a pretty well-stocked pantry of things that you could work with. Whole grains, spices, canned tomatoes and beans, couple oils and vinegars, um, like some nuts, if you like nuts and like things dried fruit that you can like add to things, salad toppers, whole grains, etc. And then what you're once that stops, eventually, when you go to the store, you're really either replacing something that you've gone through, and you're just buying produce and your protein. So like, if you want to make a recipe, you're probably just going to have to go pick up, you know, a piece of salmon and maybe some broccoli or green beans or whatever, because you're already going to have soy sauce, you're already going to have an, a simple spice rub that you can whip up in your pantry. And so that's my biggest thing. You also don't need a ton of cookware or like fancy. I always see people buying sets of things. And I'm just like, we don't don't need sets. We don't need sets. Also, like the whole I'm like, this is the genius of marketing is we've always envisioned cookware sets and knife sets, we think we need them. And so brands are just able to sell you something that's very expensive. When it's like, I have never seen anybody use like the 10 inch skillet or the like giant dock pot, like we need a 12 inch skillet and an eight inch skillet and something that we can use for like soup, stews, pastas, like all things. And that's it. We need two knives chef's knife and a serrated knife. I don't even, I, everybody's like, and a paring knife. I'm like, when was the last time you picked up your paring knife? Like, are you segmenting <laughs> citrus? Like, I doubt it. If you are, kudos. I love that. But like, right. we don't need all of those things. So it's a waste of money. And it's also like, I feel like most of us, especially living in cities, we do not have the counter space. So I'm like, unless you're a baker, get like, you do not need a KitchenAid. Like, unless you are, you know, whipping up super fancy things on a regular, like things like, like, uh, I'm trying to think of the things that take up the most space on your countertop. I'm like, you you really just the only appliances that I have on my countertop that I really think you need is like a blender that you can use for pretty much everything. But you really just don't need a lot of stuff. So I think people get overwhelmed because they'll see something they're like, ooh, I don't I don't have that pan or I don't have, you know, these ingredients or whatever. Seek out simple recipe sources. You can do amazing things with like five, also with five ingredients. Things don't need to be fancy. Like I love vegetables with olive oil, salt and pepper. Like, like I really do. They taste great. It's really not, yeah. not everything needs to be an undertaking. And once you master like five things, like making a stir fry, you can make a stir fry with anything. It's like, it's really getting over that hurdle. Once you learn how to cook a piece of chicken, a piece of fish, if you eat those things, you can season them 20 different ways. Like it's really just learning a handful of basics and building that confidence and then being flexible and experimenting. Like we said, it's like, sometimes it's not going to be great, but like the worst, the worst thing that happens is like your dinner's not that great one night like mm. just try it and then you know for the future maybe you tried something and it was amazing and then you do it again and maybe it was terrible and you're like oh note to self let's not do that one <laughs> so if you're like me you have a thousand million bajillion pictures on your phone that nobody ever gets to see because they're sitting on your phone and you forget about them and it's so sad because some of them are so amazing I go back I laugh and I want to have these pictures so that I can enjoy some of my favorite memories and share them with my friends and family and that is where free prints comes in if you don't have free prints yet you have to get it free prints is an app for iPhone and Android that lets you print all of those photos for 
free. Yes, for free, you get 1,000 free 4x6 photo prints a year. That's insane. And all you have to do is pay a small shipping charge. You can even print photos for other sizes next to nothing. Select all the photos that you want to print, choose the sizes, and you're done. Your premium quality prints will arrive on your doorstep in days. Freeprints is one of the world's favorite apps. Download it now at freeprints.com and start enjoying real professional quality free prints. No subscriptions, no commitments, just free prints. Again, go to freeprints.com to get the app and your 1,000 free prints. Enjoy. Being Home with Hunker is a podcast where we visit with designers, artists, and creatives in the spaces that express and shape their identities, their homes. If you love design and decor, if you're curious about how people live, or if you've been transitioning or transforming your own home, you'll love these honest conversations. Join us weekly at Being Home with Hunker. Visit hunker.com forward slash podcast where you can find, subscribe, and listen to the show. I love that. And I feel like with like about the fancy, the fancy appliances and whatnot, it's kind of like that same mentality that I think we use for a lot of things in our life of like, I'll do this when, you know, I can't start working out because I don't have a full gym in my house or like, I guess we use that mentality a lot as excuse making for lack of a better word. But like, I love that you kind of shattered that image of like, you don't have to have all these things. It can be pretty simple. Like all my cookware's from home goods, like it's cheap as yeah. <laughs> but I use it all the time and it does its job. And like, it is what it is. Totally. And I think that that is something, especially these days where everybody is consuming a ton of recipes or fitness advice or all of these things from people online, my, my, I, my shtick basically is I'm always repi- reminding people that the people that you're following, unless it's a close personal friend of yours, are likely doing a job. So why would you compare your food or cookware to mine? Like I am a professional chef whose job it is to show up and make their food look good. If, if my food doesn't look better than yours, like I'm doing a shitty job. Like <laughs> that is my job. Like we do not compare, like I would never compare my body or fitness setup to a fitness instructor on Instagram because it is their job to work out all day. You know, same like same thing applies to a stylist or an interior designer, but we forget that. We just follow people and because we they chat with us and whatever, we're like, oh, they're just a normal person with a beautiful house. And it's like, no, they are a normal person, but they're also an interior designer with a beautiful house. <laughs> And that's where, like, consider if they're selling you something, consider if they're an expert in whatever field it is. And why would we expect ourselves to be comparable to experts in 20 different fields? And it's also kind of like, when you really think about it, it's kind of insulting to the expert for you to think that you should be as good as they are at their job. (laughs) It's such a good, like, like, check your perspective kind of thing, because it really true and because you know I think it goes back to like Instagram because everybody's so accessible to you like you feel like you know them or you're in their home or blah blah and it's like sometimes you have to realize like take a step <laughs> not the truth but I love that but the other thing I hear of a little bit more of making other than just like not having the appliances or the fancy things are I don't have time mm. 
what's your advice for the woman that is like, I don't have time to cook myself dinner? I think that that is definitely the number one barrier to cooking in general. And I think that I do think meal planning can be really helpful in that respect. If you can take, I don't know, I people always suggest doing it on Sunday. And I'm like, I don't want to do that on the weekend. Do it on, Mon- do it on Monday. Like have Monday be your takeout day and do your planning on Monday. Uh, but plan out a couple things that you want to make. And then whenever you're making something, unless it's a, you know, a fresh piece, piece of fish or something, if it's anything that can be frozen. So a soup, a stew, a casserole, or can be eaten as leftovers, make twice the amount, freeze a batch so that you can have it later. I'm a big fan of that because I'm not somebody who likes to eat the same thing multiple days in a row. So if I can freeze half, then I know it's in the freezer for a night that I don't want to cook. And it's going to be, you know, weeks from then. So I'll be excited to have that again. Make double something that, you know, whether it's like a massage kale salad or a stir fry or something that you can then repurpose in a slightly different way the next day. So for example, you could take something that was a stir fry and add broth and noodles to it and have sort of like a noodle-y veggie bowl thing. You could take roasted vegetables that you made for like chicken or fish that you had and put those inside of a quesadilla or mix them with a grain or a kale salad or something. And it's just a little bit different. So you get excited about it. Also, if you're making a component, like you need quinoa or brown rice or something for a recipe, make like three X as much. And then you have that in the fridge throughout the week. So If you're somebody like me, again, who doesn't like to eat the same thing over and over, then just double down on easy things. Or if you're making something like a casserole or a soup or something where it needs like 30 minutes of simmer time, use those 30 minutes to make another quick recipe that will keep well in the fridge so that you don't necessarily have to cook every single day. I love all all those tips. That's that's especially with the freezing because I'm the type of person I'm like I don't really get meal prepping because like I can't eat the same thing all the time but I totally love that yeah no that's super helpful and also even just like briefly what you said before about like the spices and simple things like you said literally salt pepper and olive oil Julia always for me she does like no lie she's like okay you'll come over to my house and I'll cook for you I'm like yeah sure but it's like the not overcomplicating type of piece always like baffles me because it seems so complicated so I feel like everything you've shared with us between what to keep in your kitchen how to go about it you can double up on meals and actually freeze them and save them and like make your life easier like there is a way beyond what seems so like all consuming even for myself now to make my life easier because we're in a very busy season right now with podcasting and work and all these things I've been meal prepping but my meals are so boring and honestly I never look forward to them so I look forward (laughs) to when Julia cooks me dinner but I'm definitely going to check out all your resources and I hope anyone who's in the same boat as me does the same (laughs) but to kind of switch gears a little bit because you have so much insight on this topic like more than we even knew we would dive into and we want to talk a little bit about anxiety anxiety. Um, yeah. know it very well. <laughs> and you host a podcast called Spiraling. Love the name. What gave you the idea for the show? So funnily enough, my friend Katie Dalebout, who co-hosts Spiraling with me, has hosted a podcast. She, similar to my early blogging days, she started her podcast, I think, eight years ago now. And it's called Let It Out. And it's fantastic. And everybody should check it out. And it's really cool. Like if you want to go back and listen to episodes when she was like, you know, 22 versus 
Melissa's Funny Nine, it's really cool to see that arc. But she, we had mutual friends and she had me as a guest on her podcast in January of 2019. And we ended up having a two hour conversation on her podcast and she had all of these questions prepared and she got to like two because the second one was about anxiety and we spent the entire podcast talking about anxiety together and we were sort of I have been dealing with anxiety since I was 22 so 11 years now but Katie had sort of developed she'd dealt with depression for a long time, but had really only like developed anxiety in the months leading up to our conversation. So she was sort of just figuring it out. And we had this really amazing conversation. And afterwards, we were like, I feel like people need to hear more of these conversations that are the experience of anxiety is so different for everyone. And we really just had different experiences, but there was that underlying sort of, we were were in it together. And we hatched this idea. We spent months like planning out how we were going to figure out the best way to do this. So it wasn't just like us chatting about what we were anxious about. And then we launched the podcast in the summer of 2019. And it's very much a passion project for both of us. Um, We didn't even have any ads or anything the second season because we just love doing it. We built a really great community around it. We didn't know whether anybody would listen or care, honestly. And I think what has our, our kind of, it's like we talked about before about having no expectations for something. We kind of were like, well, if nobody listens to it, it doesn't really matter, right? Like nothing bad happens if nobody listens. And if people do listen and feel sort of comforted and less alone and also like they can laugh about things. Like we, I think what I really struggled with when I first developed anxiety was like all of the people talking about it, it was like really depressing, which is ironic. (laughs) You know, like it just felt really sort of sad. And I think what our goal and what my goal has always been in openly talking about my mental health, which I didn't do for years. And then once I kind of came clean about it, I felt like this weight had been lifted because I think anxiety, first of all, I think anxious people are the best. (laughs) but I I also think that there is something to be said for like carrying around something and kind of trying to hide it makes it feel shameful when it really isn't so many people deal with anxiety so many and I, I just I don't think anybody really realizes that because every time I talk about my anxiety on the podcast, on social media, on my blog, I get like, I'm not exaggerating when I get like, I will say something about anxiety on Instagram and my DMs like, it's like boom, 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 hundreds. And I will, I will share that with people. I will share screenshots because I think I get these DMs who are like, I, thanks for, you know, letting me feel less crazy or feel less alone. I'm like, it's not you and me in this together. It is literally, but I was like, There are hundreds and hundreds of people in this small Instagram community who are also going through this. Like, like it is not two people. It's hundreds, thousands in this like tiny, tiny group. Like imagine in the world, how many people also feel this way. And I think for me, I'm just like, anxiety is a small part of who I am. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I deal with. I don't like to say like, I struggle with, I don't like to use this like doom and gloom language. Like it's something I deal with. I'm constantly just, I'm an anxious person. It's something I have to manage, Mm -hmm. but 
it doesn't like define who I am by any stretch of the imagination. And also it does not preclude me from having a really full, happy, successful life. Like we can be anxious and happy, anxious mm-hmm. and successful, anxious and fulfilled. And like, I think the ands left out. It's like, you're either anxious or you're not anxious and you're a functioning human. Like you can be both. Like you can, it's just, it, it, I, I just think that there's, there's an unfortunate misconception that like to be diagnosed with a mental health issue of any kind is sort of a stamp of like you are damaged or broken or wounded and you cannot have all of the things that you want because you absolutely can. 100%. I I seriously think that is, first of all, our, our missions, our like intentions, all that stuff are so aligned. Um, That's a huge reason why we started this podcast as well, because we were having these conversations and we're like, I think other people like feel this or need to hear this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But he's 20s, absolutely insane. <laughs> like what the heck? The more we talk about it, the less people, the more people do get to say me too. And, and they think it shows you like what you said before, like, because I think it's, it's it's easy to grasp the concept when you see a successful person who has anxiety, you're like, you kind of, you think, but they're successful, you know? Yeah. And like, it's hard to like, it's hard to put this into words. Like, even though you're like, I know that successful person has anxiety, but they're successful. It's the, but, but when it can be more of a conversation and it's an, and, and it's like, you can be successful and have anxiety. And there's so many people that are dealing with it. And what the best thing is to do is just to talk about it. Like, and everyone just wants to feel less alone. 100%. Could not agree more. And that's, that's kind of what I remembered I was going to say with like that fear of being identified as something and like being stamped as being damaged or broken or honestly, because we do have this idea that like other people's opinions weigh a lot on most people. And I think that we find more and more that if, if people share so openly, then, you know, people are going to define them as someone that struggled with X, that struggled with this, struggled with that. And I think we're afraid of people's perspectives of us shifting and honestly, also sometimes even if you haven't fully acknowledged where you are, that labeling is a powerful thing and and only seeing ourselves as that and not beyond. But I love that you really share that these things can coexist. Like you don't have to identify as someone who struggles with anxiety, even to saying the word struggles, love that you said deal with it. And that's it. And like that that's the end of your story somehow, but it doesn't have to be that way. No. And I think that also talking about it openly and talking about things like, Hey, like you need to be on medication, go on medication. Like if you, like, I, I know everybody makes this analogy, but it's like, if you went into the doctor and you were like, I have this stomach issue and they were like, Oh, like, here's how you fix it or make it better. Or like, would you not take pain medication for, you know, your broken arm? Like, why wouldn't you take medication for, I want to say your broken brain, but <laughs> for something that needs help. And same yeah. thing with going to therapy. It's like, I think our generation is much more open to therapy, but still, I mean, it, it's, there is a stigma attached to it for some people. And I think normalizing that, normalizing, trying new things to manage your anxiety, like, what sucks is that sometimes things that have really helped in the past stop working. So like I have taken different supplements over the years. I have veiled 
to meditate, you know, like things like that. But I have found things like, you know, for me, consistent exercise, which I used to think then I had to like go to the gym for an hour every day. It's like for me, like doing like 10 minutes of yoga, fine. Like that's enough movement. Like, but I need to like actually move every day, whether or take a walk around my neighborhood, whatever it is. Like I have to just get a little bit of movement in. I don't drink enough water. I mean, I'm better about it now, but like dehydration is a big anxiety trigger for a lot of us. So like recognizing that and being like, oh, have a glass of water. That's like when you watch TV and, and something terrible happens and somebody's like, can I get you a glass of water? It's literally because dehydration can, can be an anxiety trigger. But I think, and it's really like all these simple things that I think, you know, if everybody shares openly about what they're going through, especially right now, like there is this, I think we all have also gotten sort of locked into a comparative suffering spiral. Those of us who are not healthcare workers, frontline workers happen to be safe, happen to, you know, be still have jobs, like things like this. We're like, well, we can't complain, but like, we are also locked in our houses and like, haven't seen our friends or family. And like, it's terrible. And it is very detrimental to our mental health. And there are a lot of alarming studies coming out about, you know, the instance of depression, anxiety, being wildly rampant right now. And I just, I'm sure there's going to be somebody listening who did not experience anxiety prior to this year. And I think I really like my heart goes out, especially to those people because the early stages of anxiety are the scariest because you don't know what the fuck's happening. So like you have a panic attack for the first time, terrifying. You think you're dying. (laughs) My first one, like clear as day. Cause like me too. <laughs> you were dying. Okay. But I I I mean we could talk about this like forever. This could be a whole nother episode. <laughs> um, we really could. But um we just have a couple more questions for you before we let yeah. you know, you've been so incredible. You mentioned a couple like routine things that you do. Yeah. Do you have like daily practices, rituals, routines that you do every day? I do I so when I wake up, I take a dropper of CBD. I take two apple cider vinegar gummies, <laughs> which are del- vinegar gummies. Yes, they're delicious. And which is primary, like I, I have a gummy fetish of all kinds, like vitamins, actual gummy bears, Sour Patch Kids, etc. Tell me what gummy. What- yes, they're they're goalie nutrition apple cider vinegar gummies. I have been Hi. taking them for like a year now. I love them. So I take two of those, a dropper of my CBD oil and then I do I typically do a like 15 to 30 minute Melissa Wood health workout she does like hybrid yoga and Pilates workouts I love them because they're like short but very effective and then I try if I have time I will put my legs up the wall for like five minutes which is like really calming for the nervous system it's a great stretch it helps with circulation it feels really good I'm like I also just like routine so I do that um and then I get ready for the day but I also do some people don't consider this routine but I do like I do like a not wildly extensive but extensive like morning and evening skincare routine and like for me that I think if you're if you don't like it don't do it but for me like that nighttime skincare thing that takes like 10 minutes is very relaxing like it's a I have my different steps <laughs> I have my double cleanse and my serums and I like kind of massage my face a bit and it's just like I like that and so that's sort of my evening routine but yeah 
those like help. And then I, I mean, I also try, I think pre pandemic, I had more sort of rituals, so to speak, that were not in my own home. So, <laughs> so for now, that's pretty much all I got. No, incredible. My, my skincare nighttime routine is my favorite part of the day. Like it's the it's only- so nice. Wine <laughs> loves it. Yeah, I love it. Because I feel like if I didn't do that, I'd be like, is it my brain like wouldn't know to like shut down yet? Like, yes. Like oh. end of day, we're yes. going to bed now. <laughs> she brings like she's the type of person that brings like the double cleanse, the 10 step routine to a sleepover. Like I feel like normally people at a sleepover use like a singular be like a, a wipe and like that's that. But no, she No, is- you are a woman after my own heart. That's me. <laughs> yeah. every- also, I will be like blackout drunk and doing my double cleanse. Like oh. there's no <laughs> ever is never go to sleep with your makeup on yeah. like, never <laughs> yes growing up while you're doing it like I don't care it doesn't matter take it off <laughs> I remember I remember like one of my best friends sent me a hilarious meme recently that was like a girl like, like dancing on like a bar and like stumbling out of like getting home and then like doing a 10 step skincare routine it. and there was like get you a girl who can do both and I was like yep. <laughs> You know, it's important. I love it. Serena, if you could tell your 20-year-old self one thing, what would it be? Oh, man. I think it would, like, this is also a piece of advice. (laughs) One of my dad's cliche pieces of advice. But he always says you can't connect the dots going forward. You can only connect them going back. So I think the, the moral in that is, like, essentially relax like you cannot plan your entire future no matter how hard you try Mm. you don't know what's coming so I think the stuff that we talked about earlier about enjoying what you're doing now and setting yourself up for future success is different than like plotting it out and insisting that you follow a rigid schedule and timeline of achieving specific goals because your goals can change and so I think it would probably yeah be more flexible, relax. We all need to hear the simple relax because <laughs> it's not that yes, seriously. <laughs> yes. And our last question for you is where can people find you? So your Instagram, if they want to work with you or get your book, anything you want to share. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Serena G. Wolf. Uh, my blog is domesticate-me.com. The do diet and the do diet dinner time are available wherever books are sold. And then for classes and things like that, if you go to domesticate-me.com, there's tabs and you'll be able to find everything. Amazing. I will link it all in the show notes. Serena, thank you. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thank you guys. This was such a nice way to end the day. It really was. We all needed it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Bye, everybody. Bye, everyone. Bye. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.